Today we are continuing the series Hereafter, what the Bible says about life after death and what lies ahead. And the title of this message today is The Moment You've All Been Waiting For, The Second Coming of Christ. And if uh, there was a, I know that it's already a long title, but if there was a, a, a subtitle to the subtitle, it would be this, Be Prepared. I hope today, if nothing else registers from this message, uh, you will remember to be prepared for the coming of the Lord. Christmas is when we remember and celebrate the first coming of Jesus to the earth. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came as our sacrificed Savior to die on the cross for our sins to rescue us from our sins, to forgive us and set us free so that we can have relationship with God and eternal life. More on that at Christmas, which is coming before you, re- before you know it. But we also know that Jesus promised to come back a second time, second advent. And ever since his death, resurrection, and ascension about 2,000 years ago, we have been waiting for his return. So we know why he came the first time to save us. Why did he come? Why will he come the second time? The second time when he comes, it will be to consummate his kingdom. That's big theological terminology to basically mean that he's going to come and fix the planet. He's going he's to come and finally complete the work that he started when he came the first time. To restore Eden. To wipe away all sorrow and pain and suffering and injustice and death. And we get to be part of it if we belong to Jesus in faith. The second coming of Christ really is the moment we've all been waiting for. It's where the promises of God from the Old Testament find their ultimate fulfillment. It's the moment of healing that all creation has been groaning for since it was broken by sin. It is the ultimate day of the Lord when God justly judges the world and Jesus the Messiah takes his throne. But is this just wishful thinking? What biblical basis do we have for this? And of course, that's the whole thrust of this series, is what does the Bible have to say? So let's look to the scriptures. The idea of Jesus coming back is a major teaching of the New Testament. And I want to share just some scriptures. These are just some. This is not an exhaustive list of all of the passages in the New Testament that speak about the the second coming of Christ. But just to give you a sense of of, of sort of of a survey of what the New Testament has to say about the second coming of Christ. Let's just go quickly through each of these passages. John 14, 1 to 3. Jesus, in that passage, he's talking to his disciples and he tells them that he's going away to start preparing a place for them and that when the time comes, I will come again, he says. And I will take you to myself that where I am there you may be also. In Luke 17 We're going to read that together, Luke 17. Again, Jesus talking. In verse 22, he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see the day when the Son of Man returns. But you won't see it. People will tell you, Look, there is the Son of Man, or here he is. But don't go out and follow them. What he's saying here is, 
there's going to be a lot of difficulty in the world. You're going to be under a lot of stress and persecution, and you are going to be longing for my return. And some people are going to say, I'm the Messiah. I'm, I'm, I'm the reincarnation of Jesus, or I'm, you know, all these sorts of things. Don't follow them. There's, there will be no confusion about it. You won't miss it. You won't be like, oh, maybe Jesus came back and I didn't realize it. No, that's not the case because uh, in verse 24, he says, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other, so it will be on the day when the Son of Man comes. This big, unmistakable thing that the whole world will see. We also have the words of Jesus in Matthew 25 when he talks about his return as well. We have in Philippians uh, chapter 3 a, a passage from the Apostle Paul, verses 20 to 21. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk a lot about that next week when we talk about the resurrection. Hebrews 9, 28 says that Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. That was the first coming. Then it says he will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. In 1 Corinthians 11, 26, we have sort of the instructions around the Lord's Supper. And it says that we will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are mindful that he is coming back. In 1 Thessalonians 4, there's a long passage about the second coming of Christ. We will look at that next week. But I just want to highlight that it says in verse 14, since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. In verse 16, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. In James 5, 7 to 8, James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains and the fallen in the spring, and then eagerly look for the valuable harvest. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 says that God will give us rest when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. Verse 10, when he comes on that day, he will receive glory and praise from everyone who believes. In 2 Thessalonians, uh, basically Second Thessal- the whole book is about um, the second coming of Christ. So we, we won't read all that, but you can look at that as well. Uh, not only do we see Paul saying this, the author of Hebrews saying this, Jesus saying this himself, James, the half-brother of Jesus, saying this. We also have Peter uh, telling us about this. In 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 7, when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Verse 13, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole 
world. And in 2 Peter 3, uh, he writes a whole lot more about the, uh, the events surrounding the return of Jesus. Not only do we have Jesus saying this, not only do we have the author of Hebrews saying this, we don't only have Paul saying this, we have James saying this, we have Peter saying this, we also have John saying this in 1 John chapter 2. And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. That's only a small sampling. But you get the idea. The return of Jesus Christ is loud and clear in the Bible, and it will be loud and clear to the world. Jesus is coming back. If you remember the graphic that we've been sort of using uh, throughout this series, uh, you can put that up. This is uh, what we've been talking about, and we won't go, re- go over all that again, um, but we have now the return of Jesus at some point in the future. Now, at this point, there is a word that some of you may uh, have floating around in, in your mind that you associate with these scriptures or some of these scriptures, and that is the word rapture or the rapture. Now, that word, the rapture, doesn't appear anywhere in our English Bibles, but many of you will know that word because you've been hanging around Christianity for a while. The idea of, of the rapture is that, yes, Jesus is co- going to come back, but actually twice in, or in two stages. He comes back the first time, but he doesn't touch down. He appears in the sky and removes all the living Christians from the earth and takes them to heaven, removes the church, and the, this, or some people call it the secret rapture of the church. Some are taken away and others are left behind to deal with a world in chaos. And the theory goes that seven years then pass of great tribulation and horror on the earth, and then Jesus actually comes back for realsies after that. This is the Left Behind series concept. Anybody ever read any of these books? Yeah? The Left Behind series, right? Some of you may have it on your shelf. I think we might have some in the church library. Um, The Left Behind series. This was a massively popular uh, book series that was based on this uh, sort of idea that I just described um, of, of, a, of, a, of a surprise rapture, a, a secret rapture of the church where everyone disappears and then others are left behind, Christians disappear, that is, and then everyone is, who, who isn't a true follower of Jesus is left behind on the world and then there's seven years of chaos and horror and terribleness and then Jesus comes back. Um, before there was left behind, there was a, a movie called A Thief in the Night. Anybody seen A Thief in the Night? Yeah. 1972. Um, Our pastor made us watch it at youth group two or three times, I remember. (laughs) A Thief in the Night was was designed to scare you into faith in Jesus. Especially the scene where they roll out the guillotine at the end to execute anyone who hasn't taken the mark of the beast. Yeah, it's serious business. Before A Thief in the Night, there was a a book called The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. Anybody read that one? All right, we have some good, solid Baptists in the room. (laughs) The Late Great Planet Earth, 1970, Hal Lindsey. So this rapture theology, this uh, approach, uh, um, has become popular in large part because of these things that have been popular in Christian circles. Um, 
and, and this approach comes up with complex and detailed timelines of the final events uh, around the, the, the return of Christ, derived from a particular reading of passages and, and working those scriptures and finagling them to fit into a certain sequence of events that make sense. So these are uh, pre-trib, pre-millennial timelines and scenarios. Uh, this is what I was taught growing up. Mom and dad can, my mom and dad are here this morning and they know because they were there along for the ride. Um, and, uh, but here's the thing, over the years, over the years, I have become less and less convinced that the Bible actually teaches all this stuff. I don't, personally, and I'm speaking for myself, I personally uh, don't think that the rapture, as I've just described it, and all of this, this timeline stuff, is really in the scriptures. Um, in fact, all of this way of thinking about the return of Jesus is very new in terms of church history. Um, it's, it's really only about 200 years old. There was a man by the name of John Nelson Darby, the founder of the Plymouth Brethren, who in the 1830s was the first to sort of describe uh, this idea. Prior to him, there's little to no record in church history of anyone adhering to such an understanding of the second coming of Christ. Rather, the general consensus of the church for 1,800 years up until that point, and I would say continues to be the consensus of the church outside of our Baptist circles, um, is that the second coming of Christ uh, is not a, a two-part deal, but is a single event, which seems to me to be the plainest and most logical understanding of the scriptures. Next Sunday, when we talk about uh, the resurrection, we'll see how 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which I referenced a minute ago, is not about the rapture of the church out of this world, but is clearly about the resurrection at the return of Jesus. So to be clear, what do I believe? And I'm just speaking for myself. Again, I don't believe there's going to be a rapture of the church as a separate event uh, from the return of Christ. I see it all as one thing, one big moment in history, the day of the Lord. Um, I don't think the New Testament makes it out to be two separate events uh, separated by time. Now, interestingly, even John F. Walvoord, you ever heard of him? He was a, 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 a very ultra-conservative fundamentalist theologian, Southern Baptist guy, um, one of the strongest supporters of, of the rapture doctrine, pre-trib, all this stuff. He once wrote this. He said, it is not always possible to distinguish references to Christ's coming for the church or in his view, the rapture, from references to his coming to establish his earthly kingdom. And I would say, yeah, I agree, John. Yeah, I, yes, of course it's hard to distinguish those things because they are one and the same. There is no exit of the church, in my opinion, um, apart from the second coming of Christ to establish his earthly kingdom. But the rapture idea has really taken hold in evangelical churches, and there are many well-known popular preachers today, especially Southern Baptists like David Jeremiah and Charles Stanley, who have big platforms and TV shows who teach it and believe it, and those are men of God who preach the Word of God and are good expositors of the Word, and I'm not tearing them down at all because they're wonderful men of God, and I've been influenced, especially by Charles Stanley's ministry. Um, so this is one of those things where we definitely want to recognize that there is freedom to hold different views on this topic, right? And this is, I would say, a side issue, right? It's not the main point. The main point is Jesus is coming back. 
the question is, how is it all going to play out? There's, that's up for debate, right? There's some things doctrinally, theologically, biblically that I would say we should hold with a closed fist. Those are things that we hold tightly and we say we will not compromise on this. Like the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, like the virgin birth, like the Trinity, like the authority of Scripture, and those sorts of core fundamental truths. But then there's other things that I think we can hold with a bit of an open hand. We can say, yeah, I feel this way, but you may feel that way, and that's okay. We can still be brothers and sisters in Christ. So this is one of those things. My point in bringing this up is that I don't think we need to bother Try to, trying to map out a detailed timeline of events related to the return of Jesus. The scriptures don't seem to be focused on that aspect of it. So, let's keep the main thing the main thing. That is that Jesus is coming back. I was talking to a retired pastor one time in, in my previous church, and uh, we were having a discussion about our different views. You know, are you... Uh, a, a pre-millennialist or a post-millennialist or an amillennialist or a pre-trib or a mid-trib or a post-trib. And we were having all these discussions. And he said, you know what I am? I said, what's that, uh, Harold? He said, he said, I'm a pan-millennialist. I said, a pan I've never heard of a pan-millennialist. He said, yeah, I'm a pan-millennialist. He said, it's all going to pan out in the end. <laughs> all right. I like that. So what, but... What does the scripture make clear? The scriptures make clear Jesus is coming back, and certain things are going to happen when Jesus comes back, including the resurrection. Like I said, we're going to talk about that next Sunday. 1 Thessalonians 4, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And judgment, this is a big deal. This is a, we're going to have another sermon just on that. Matthew 16, 27, the Son of Man is going to come, and he will repay each person according to what he has done. 2 Peter 3, 7 Peter calls the day of Christ's return the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. That's in two weeks' time. Uh, and, then, uh, and then after that, the new heaven and the new earth, the eternal state. That'll be the last two Sundays of the series. So that's where we're going. Now, a big question that a lot of people ask and spend a lot of time thinking about when it comes to the return of Jesus is, When? When is this going to happen? When will Jesus come back? Let's give Jesus a chance to speak on that, because he did. He spoke about it. And in Luke chapter 12 is one example of when Jesus addressed this. And he said, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. The second and third watches were in the middle of the night. This was the graveyard shift. And Jesus is saying, if you really want to be rewarded in the kingdom of God, be found faithfully serving Jesus even in the graveyard shift, even in the difficult times of life, those second and third watch times. 
And I know, just as a side note, I know from speaking with many of you and, and walking with some of you through difficulties in your own life that um, many of you do have a great faith in the midst of those difficult times, and it's inspiring to me. And then Jesus says, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So when will Jesus return? At an hour we do not expect. We just don't know. We don't know. He doesn't tell us. But you know, a lot of people haven't got the memo. In every generation since the first century, people have speculated that it would be in their time and they tried to figure out the date. Here's a list. Uh, the first record of this is Hippolytus of Rome in the year 500. said the, the second coming of Christ will be the year 500. Beat, Beatus of Libana said it'll be April 6th, 793. Pope Sylvester II said January the 1st, 1000. Now, I get that. If I was living... <laughs> right? I, I understand. The same reason I understand why people thought the year 2000, right? These millennials. <laughs> Sylvester II, the millennial pope. Um, another dozen or so uh, happened over the next few hundred years after the year 1000. And then Martin Luther... We love Martin Luther, right? The, the father of the, the Protestant Reformation. He thought 1600 for sure. Jesus is coming back in 1600. John Wesley, founder of the Wesleyan Church, guessed it might be 1836. Uh, William Miller, he thought October 22nd, 1844. Uh, the Millerites, these were these folks who followed him. Uh, that led to the founding of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. That's where that came from. Uh, Charles Taze Russell, the founder of the Jehovah's Witnesses, he said 1874. Uh, Joseph Smith, founder of the Mormons, Jesus is coming back, 1891. The Jehovah's Witnesses uh, tried again, and guessed it would be 1941. Uh, Pat Robertson, 1982, Pat Robertson said for sure. Jehovah's Witnesses took another stab at it, October 2nd, 1984, and then several other predictions as well. I'm not sure if they're still setting dates. Um, Hal Lindsey, we mentioned Hal, who wrote uh, The Late Great Planet Earth. He thought it would be 1988. Uh, in fact, there was a book by another man named Eric Edgar C. Wisenant called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. <laughs> uh, Harold Camping, a Christian radio broadcaster. His first guest was uh, September 6th, 1994, and then uh, September 29th, 1994, and then October 2nd, 1994. Uh, and then he stopped for a while, and then he gained worldwide attention and millions of dollars of donations. You might remember this when he later predicted October 21st, 2011. That was all over the news. Um, Pat Robertson tried again. April 29th, 2007 was his guess. Uh, Jerry Falwell said it would be no later than 2009. Jack Van Impey thought it would be 2012 for sure. Uh, I, and I recall my own pastor. Um, who said that it would be within 70 years of Israel becoming a nation in 1948. That was 2018, and we're still waiting. So, the truth is, it could be in five minutes from now. Or it could be 25,000 years from now. Or more. We have no idea. 
I once heard a preacher say, and I really appreciated this, he said, for all I know, we could still be the early church. <laughs> right? Who knows? I think that is a, is a very uh, good and sobering perspective. When Jesus talked about coming at an hour we won't expect, his point was obvious. Be ready for any moment. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning, he says. Um, I grew up working on a farm, working, uh, picking uh, apples and peaches, and it was, it was great. Um, sometimes, me and the people we were working with, um, you know, we, we kind of start slowing down, maybe a hot day, or hoeing or something. Hoeing was the worst. And the sun is beating down on you, and we're really slowing down. We're taking a lot of breaks, starting to goof off a little bit, dragging our feet. But then we'd hear the tractor coming. <laughs> we said, oh, man, the boss is coming. Quick, look busy. Get back to work. Pick up the pace. When Jesus returns... We're not going to hear the tractor coming. It's going to come at an hour you will not expect. Some people think that the Bible lays out a series of signs that will signal the coming of Jesus, and I think there's some truth to that. I'm not convinced that all of those scriptures are really saying that. But what seems clear to me is that Jesus' return will come when we don't expect it. We won't see it coming. And that means it could be any time. That's reinforced by Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're not going to read all that today because home churches this week will be looking at that text. The point is, we need to be ready always. So, if you are not a believer yet, you haven't committed your life to Christ, what does it mean for you to be ready for the return of Christ? It means that you better trust in Jesus now before it's too late. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 3, that at the time of Jesus' coming, some people who don't believe will be saying, everything is peaceful and secure. I'm good. Life is good. Everything's rosy, hunky-dory. But then when Jesus returns, Paul writes, it will be disaster. And again, I'm not trying to scare you into salvation, but I just need to be blunt with you, right? When Jesus comes back, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, it's not going to go well for you. There's no second chance. There's no plan B. So trust in Jesus Christ today while you can. God has done literally everything he can do to win you back. He's given you his son. He came himself to you and died for you, gave up his life for you, left the Holy Spirit to draw you and equip you and empower you. And he's made it abundantly clear the gospel is simple. Even a little child can understand it. Simple faith in Jesus Christ. So what are you waiting for? If you're not a believer yet, if you want to be ready for the moment of Christ's return, place your faith in him today. It can be as simple as getting alone with God and having a prayer praying to confess your sins to him, inviting him into your life as your savior. And he will. He will save you. He will forgive you. He will set you free and give you eternal life. 
What does it mean to be ready for the return of Jesus if you're already a follower of Jesus? Being ready means being alert. Being alert to the things of the Lord in your life. It means living in the light, walking in faith and love and obedience, holding steady to the faith. A couple of scripture references that get at this. Titus 2 is one, uh, starting at verse 12. It says, And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. While we are waiting for the return of Jesus, we should be living in this sinful world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. First Peter chapter 4. Let me, let me have a look at that. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 10. The end of the world is coming soon, Peter says. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. And most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them. Use them well to serve one another. Since Jesus is coming back soon, use your gifts. Practice hospitality. Show a deep love for one another. As Pastor Hannah said, this is what young people are longing for, love. This is what Jesus has called us to, above all else, to love God and to love others. So as we're waiting for Jesus to come back, we should be in a state of active waiting, active waiting, doing all the things that he's called us to do. That's how he should find us when he returns. Many people, myself included, uh, think that the first disciples thought the return of Jesus would be almost instantaneous after his ascension. They, there was this sense that uh, he's coming back like in five minutes after he left. Um, in, in Acts chapter 1, we have this awesome uh, scene. Let me just find that scripture. Oh, I didn't mark that one. Acts chapter 1. Here it is. Okay. Starting at verse 6. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore your kingdom? Jesus, is it now? Right? So he's just resurrected. He's, he's getting ready to ascend back to heaven. And they're still like, Jesus, it's like, it's now, right? Like the return, it, it's going to be like, like you're going to ascend and then like, boom, it's going to happen, right? Verse 7, Jesus replied, the Father alone has the, thor- uh, the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. Okay, Charles Taze Russell, okay, Harold Camping, okay. Pat Robertson, it's not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons, but here's the thing, guys. There's a mission. There's a mission. There's work to do. 
It's going to start in Jerusalem. It's going to go out from there. And you're going to have the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish this mission, okay? That's what's going to happen next. And then it says, verse 9, After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. I picture them gawking at the sky, just dumbfounded, you know, just... Wow. Wow. Okay? Verses 10 to 12. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them, angels. And they said this, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? I think it's the King James that says, Why stand ye here gazing? I like that. Why stand ye here gazing? Jesus, they say, they said, has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. In verse 12, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. To me, it's like the angel is saying to them, Hey, fellas. Hey, guys, you who stop looking at the sky. What are you doing standing there gazing at, at you think he's going to come right back? He told you. He told you. You're not going to know when it's going to happen. Go back to Jerusalem. Go to Jerusalem and do what he told you to do, right? Go do and be what Jesus has called you to do and be. Don't stand there and gawk at the sky. And I think this is a good lesson for us, too, as we close. Waiting for the return of Jesus doesn't mean watching the skies. It doesn't mean gawking at heaven. It doesn't mean getting out books and trying to calculate the date. It's not this obsession with when is it going to happen. It's being ready. We don't know when it's going to happen. We'll never know when it's going to happen until it happens. And the key lesson is be ready for it. It means getting to the work of the kingdom that Jesus has called us to do. Getting to the work of the gospel, putting your hand to the plow, doing the work of love and compassion and of grace and of truth, being Jesus's witness in our homes, our neighborhoods, our region, and the world.